Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a fentanyl epidemic in the nation and in Minnesota, and clean energy goals throughout the state. But first, as 2018 winds down, our Minnesota News Network staff takes a look back at the year that was. On March 24th, thousands of students across the country and in Minnesota took to the streets to advocate for gun reform. I was there the day of the shooting. I lived through it and I lost four of my close friends. February 14th is supposed to be the day of love and appreciation for those around me. But now for me, it is a day that I will never forget. It's going to take you, the youth, and the conscience of the nation to stand up here on the Capitol steps and call bullshit. I'm here because I don't think that any child should have to go to school in fear or that their parents should have to send them to school for fear of them not coming home. We say no more. We want to stop gun violence. Pass these bills. Save our families. Save our students. March. Lobby. Protest. Action. The March for Our Lives, part of our year that was. Officer-involved killings remained a volatile issue in Minnesota in 2018. First, there was Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman's decision to charge Officer Muhammad Noor in the summer 2017 shooting death of Justine Damon. We need cops to be law-abiding. And in this case, based on the fact of the Noor-Damon case, clearly Officer Noor violated the rules. Cell phone the alley. Alders to Bryant. Shots fired, shots fired, one down. Freeman's decision not to charge the officers involved in the shooting death of Thurman June Blevin sparked anger. You have justified police. Law officers are required to react quickly, intense, uncertain, and rapidly evolving situations. Activist Nakima Levy-Armstrong on the anniversary of the police shooting death of Jamar Clark and in the wake of two more recent officer-involved shootings in the metro called for more. We want to see justice in the Twin Cities and the state of Minnesota for victims of police violence. That was part of our year that was. It was a deadly year at the state's correction facilities. Two officers at two different prisons lost their lives. The deaths led to grief and calls for change. The corrections family is reeling. This is a territory that we have not visited before. Hundreds of law enforcement officials from around the state and beyond gather in Arden Hills this morning to pay their respects to corrections officer Joseph Gom. Joe was taken away from us far too soon, and it's hard to understand why tragic things like this happen to such good people. I consider those corrections officers heroic in what they do, and all I can do in return is bring them the most aggressive prosecution we can muster. Officials say after the altercation, 37-year-old Joseph Parisi went back to his post where he suffered a medical emergency and later died at Regents Hospital. Joe was a friend. He was a brother. We were all better to have known Joe. We have been going to the legislature every year asking for more correctional officers. Now we are demanding it. And we expect that to be approved. We don't expect any legislative game playing and any politics to be involved with that. And that's part of our year that was. 
In September, nearly 30 years since Jacob Wetterling's abduction, authorities released most of the case files related to the investigation, despite the family's objections. Just minutes after releasing the files, Stearns County Sheriff Don Goodmanson shocked many Minnesotans, saying the Wetterling investigation went off the rails from the start. In the first week, a lead is running California. And by the second week, leads are running Iowa, Vermont, and North Dakota. In essence, Sheriff Charlie Graff, has already lost control of his own investigation. This should not have happened. The lead FBI investigator at the time, Al Garber, defended how the case was handled. When he began the presentation saying it went off the rails, that was a clue to me. He has his beliefs and he was going to make it fit the facts in this case. However, the words of Sheriff Goodmanson will forever stick in our minds. And I will accept the responsibility, speaking for all of law enforcement in this case, I will accept the responsibility and accountability for this, that all of us failed. And that's part of our year that was. Minnesota has not escaped the opioid crisis. Nearly half of all Minnesotans know someone addicted to opioids. So addictive because it acts directly on the area in your brain that activates the reward system. And it activates it in a very potent way. A mother from Montevideo who lost her daughter in 2015 to an opioid addiction says it's time we hold Big Pharma responsible. If I had a business that created a disaster, a public health crisis, I'd be responsible for cleaning it up. But because of the power of the pharmaceutical companies, they don't have to. The opioid epidemic continues to hit the state's tribal communities. Minnesota ranks highest amongst all states in deaths due to drug poisoning among American Indians and Alaska Natives, five times greater than the white Minnesota rate. There is not a community untouched by the significant changes in the drug abuse landscape. And that's part of our year that was. 2018, the race for Minnesota governor was a wild ride. Democrat Tim Walz was front runner in the caucuses, as was Republican Jeff Johnson. But then former Governor Tim Pawlenty jumped in so late that he skipped the state convention. To have a broader and larger group of people weigh in. Johnson got the Republican endorsement. We're coming out of here united, and the Democrats aren't. At Democrats' convention, Walls couldn't win, so he went to the primary, leaving the endorsement for Aaron Murphy. And Lori Swanson also jumped in after not receiving the Attorney General endorsement. We need all hands on deck. In the August primary, Democrat Walls bested both endorsed candidate Murphy and latecomer Swanson. It's time for one Minnesota. And primary voters said no to Tim Pawlenty, making Jeff Johnson Republicans candidate. People want something different these days, right? President Trump gave Minnesota some attention. Keep America great. Because that's what we're doing. But Trump was absent just before the election, and the blue backlash that pundits predicted kept a Democrat in the governor's office. Build on the things that this state has done. And that's part of our year that was. There's more to come. We'll dive into the world of Minnesota sports when Minnesota Matters returns. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. 
Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with a mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. We continue to look back on our year that was in Minnesota with a rundown of the top sports stories. Minnesota Sports 2018 will be remembered for fantastic finishes, hirings, firings, and yes, another year with no championships. Caught by Diggs! Stay up! Oh my God! Oh my God! I can't win the Super Bowl today, okay? I can do a press conference to talk about a contract and then go from there. I've been brought here to try and tweak this process and to get us to win a Stanley Cup. If you didn't like the way that I handled myself in, in, in practice, one of the players come up to me. Somebody say something. Anybody. I'm not going to take it offense. It's not personal. Jimmy, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you, you're probably right. What we've been able to do for women's basketball and basketball in the state, and hopefully for a lot of years, Lynx and Gophers, we keep that going. Just the relationships that I've been able to make. That's why I'm so emotional here today. Here's the final snap. There goes Tyler Johnson to get it. It's a mad dash. Let's chop some wood, Minnesota. They've got the axe. And that's part of our year that was. Minnesota was front and center last February as Super Bowl 52 brought visitors from around the world and generated an estimated $370 million in new spending. I want to be a good host. Minnesota wants to be a good host. Two excellent teams, and we'll do our best to showcase Minnesota, the bold north. Behave yourselves and dress warmly. It's one of the cool things about Minnesota is how we pull together as a community, and we've all been working together at all levels. This week is the culmination of three and a half years of a lot of hard work, a lot of planning. Uh, the interaction with the Minnesota fans as well as the uh, Philly and New England fans has been very cordial. Eagles defensive tackle Bo Allen grew up playing youth football in the Twin Cities and high school football in Minnetonka. We all care about each other. We, we've played with each other for a lot of games. Patriots quarterback Tom Brady spent childhood summers near Browerville. I love coming back here. Um, I got a lot of family here. It's a great state. Well, we promised Bold North, and we delivered. We couldn't have done it without the hospitality of Minnesotans. And that is part of our year that was. Minnesota-born heroes highlighted the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea. A Duluth-based curling team barely making it out of pool play and led by Captain John Schuster came together perfectly. This is a potential double for five and maybe gold for the U.S. Can he get it? He can! Five on the board for Team USA! It's a double takeout and it's in this stage. We just all embraced that entire end in the moment and have been enjoying the crap out of it since then. And what a comeback for Stillwater native Jesse Diggins, another underdog in cross-country ski. Here comes Diggins! Oh, Diggins! Diggins making the play around 
tweeted, Jesse Diggins to the line. It is Jesse Diggins delivering a landmark moment. And six Minnesotans won gold for the U.S. women's hockey team in a thrilling shootout win over Canada. Plymouth native Kelly Panic was one of the winners. Just so much joy and happiness and sense of accomplishment that is far beyond words. And that's part of our year that was. 2018 marked a year of big name change for the Minnesota Twins. The franchise had high hopes heading into the 2018 season, a year removed from a 2017 wildcard playoff appearance. Injury, suspensions, and poor pitching, though, submarine those hopes. At year's end, out were Minnesota legends Paul Molitor, fired as manager, and Joe Maurer, retired as a player. Chief Baseball Officer Derek Falvey on Molitor's dismissal. This wasn't about our record this year. This is about what we think is best as we continue to grow a young team in the direction toward being a championship contender. An emotional Maurer on his retirement. I don't see this, like I said, as a farewell. I'm going to raise my kids here. My family's here. I'm born and raised. I was a Twins fan before I was a twin. I'll be a Twins fan after I'm, uh, I'm done as a player. And an excited new manager, Rocco Baldelli. This is an emotional time for me as well because it means a lot to me. And I take this job very very seriously and I want to work with amazing people and I think I found a great group and a great partnership to show up to the field with every day. And that's part of our year that was. And finally 2018 marked a year of seismic transition for Minnesota sports legend Lindsey Whalen. Minnesota can take the lead with the three. Whalen bombs it and it's good! Crowd just explodes here at Target Center. What we've been able to do for women's basketball and basketball in the state, and hopefully for a lot of years, Lynx and Gophers, we keep that going. The horn sounds, and the L.A. Sparks have defeated the Minnesota Lynx, and this magical run by the Minnesota Lynx will end on the floor of their biggest rival during this stretch. It was kind of weird just thinking and like saying you're retired and feel so young, yet obviously it's so great I have something else to go into because I'd probably be going nuts right now if I was if I was looking at the next however long without something to look forward to. Um, but yeah, yeah, it has you know said in a little bit these last couple of days that, that I'm done playing. Being a part of a team is really uh, is the best the best parts, and so um, I don't know. I thought it was uh, a great opportunity, and being able to come and coach where I played is is very cool. And that's part of our year that was. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A recent report from the CDC shows fentanyl has overtaken heroin as America's deadliest drug. It's something Regions Hospital Emergency Room Dr. Andrew Zinkel is seeing locally firsthand. I recently spoke with Dr. Zinkel about the disturbing trend and why it's heading in the wrong direction. Thank you again to my guest, Dr. Andrew Zinkel. Minnesota Matters returns after this say that we are seeing a, a larger number of overdoses due to fentanyl um, and usually it's in combination with heroin and you know the study does comment on the two drugs being seen together as a cause of unintentional overdose um, it's, it's the leading cause of that um, together and we are seeing those results in the ER as well a few important things to note about heroin is that it's 30 to 50 times more potent uh, uh, sorry that fentanyl is 30 to 50 times more potent than heroin um, and usually the, the people that use heroin don't know that the fentanyl is in there. And so they're unaware that there's a much more potent uh, drug combined with the heroin that they're using. Um, in addition to that, only three milligrams of fentanyl is enough to kill an average adult, and that's just a small amount of powder. 
Um, on top of that, fentanyl is also legal. It's, it is used as a drug, um, typically in patch form for chronic pain issues, um, and that can be used inappropriately um, to, to get a better access to the drug. Uh, is there a way that you are aware of to combat this? I mean, you say that it's people who don't necessarily know that it's mixed with the heroin. Obviously, there, it's being widely reported, especially since the death of Prince here in Minnesota, that fentanyl is dangerous, and yet it seems like the trend is moving in the wrong direction. How do we reverse that? Yeah, so public education is key, and I think we're working on ways to do that. Um, I think part of the issue is that you never really know what you're getting when you when you purchase a street drug, and so um, it, there's just no way to know that. Um, we we are aware of this, obviously, in the ER, and so you know we pretty quickly can realize the the symptoms of a drug overdose, and um, they are treated the same. Narcan is the antidote antidote that's used for both of them. Um, it just does require larger doses in cases that involve fentanyl. Um, I don't want to get too much into a sort of a scared straight scenario here, but I mean, I guess in in a way, maybe it's an interesting avenue to explore here. Can you maybe describe, you talked about recognizing the symptoms when people come in. What do you see when somebody comes in and they've overdosed on fentanyl? Yeah, the most significant side effect from fentanyl overdose is respiratory depression. So um, slow breathing, uh, decreased breathing rates, um, and, and that's the biggest issue is that it, it, it depresses your respiratory drive, um, and, and that depression in your respiratory drive can end up leading to a cardiac arrest, and that is the most serious, obviously. When, when patients are found on the street in respiratory depression, um, we still have time for the antidote to work, um, but if that progresses, you, you develop a cardiac uh, arrest, and at that point, it's much more difficult to get a patient back. You talked about the the low dosage of fentanyl that uh, can be used to treat chronic pain. Is 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 outlawing fentanyl the solution here? That that's a hard judgment call to make based on the results from this study. Um, I'm not sure outlawing it is the the right thing to do. Um, clearly, there are a lot of restrictions on its use in in medicine, and it's it is typically reserved for chronic cancer related pain patients. Uh, with relation to that, I mean, are we seeing, I, I know for, for years we've been reporting on this, that uh, that opioids have are leading to harder drugs. Now, supposedly, we have more of an emphasis on um, physicians not prescribing opioids for certain things, uh, which is, is cutting down on opioid prescriptions that are out there. Are you seeing that that's making any difference? Yes, we are seeing that. We are monitoring rates of opioid prescriptions. Um, both within our provider group and from our health plan, and we are seeing a decrease in rates of prescription, and that's for all opioids. So that's um, both oxycodone and the common opioids as well as fentanyl. In terms of resources for people that are struggling with addiction to heroin, where can people turn? Yeah, so, you know, there, there are a lot of resources available. Um, you know, talking to your doctor is the most important. Um, they're going to be able to the one that can get you the resources the quickest. Um, and there are also crisis numbers that you can call if you have um, concerns with this that can help you find the, the right treatment. From a, a chemical standpoint, what does fentanyl do to your brain? Well, the fentanyl is an analgesic, so the, the main property is it, it relieves pain. I mean, it does have an, a part of an anesthetic effect as well, um, so it does involve some sedation. Um, 
but mostly it's a pain reliever. And so it affects the opioid receptors on your cells that um, increases your threshold for pain. Uh, Good information, doctor. I appreciate it. Is there anything else you can think of to add this morning? It's a growing crisis. The community is well aware. And we are informing the public, informing our emergency medical services to use the antidote whenever they think that's a possibility. Thank you again to my guest, Dr. Andrew Zinkel. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff, even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As Governor-elect Tim Walz prepares to take office, he carries with him several campaign promises and goals, one of those centered around Minnesota getting 50% of its energy from clean, renewable sources by 2030. MNN's J.W. Cox spoke with an energy policy expert to find out if 2019 can be the start of a major move towards a clean energy future for Minnesota. Hal Harvey spent much of the last three decades working on energy solutions at the highest levels of government, including time spent as advisor to both the Clinton and George H.W. Bush White Houses. He thinks voters sent a loud message about clean energy during the 2018 midterms. You could fairly call this a clean energy election. I think there were seven governors that pledged to get to 100% clean energy uh, before 2050 and that were elected this time. So we're going to see a very substantial movement in the states, including in Minnesota. Harvey, now a published author and CEO of the policy firm Energy Innovation, says progress on the energy front could very well begin right here in our backyard. Minnesota has traditionally been a leader in smart utility regulation and clean energy. So I think look in one's backyard, there's a lot of good, there are 3,500 megawatts of wind farms in Minnesota already. Um, but that said, it pays to think regionally. It's much easier to balance a grid with a lot of renewables on it if you have good transmission lines and good markets connecting your electricity systems state to state to state. One of the interesting things about wind power, for example, is the farther apart your different wind farms are across several states, the less they react to changes in wind at the same time. In other words, they balance each other out very naturally. You get You get really smooth power supply curves if you cover a big geography. One reason for the leg up in Minnesota, the people at the front of our utilities. Excel Energy has been very interested in what they call performance-based regulation. Reward us for providing what the citizens want. The citizens want reliable, affordable, clean energy. They don't care about the particulars. 
Harvey is convinced that utility companies, not governments, should really be the ones taking the lead toward clean energy. Let the utility use its entrepreneurial spirit to find the cheapest way to meet those core public values. Electric utilities are quite amazing companies. They have 100% market share. They have an army of blue-collar workers in every single town in America. They're already under public supervision. They can be the engines of both energy efficiency, electric vehicle charging, and distributed renewable energy. So we should take advantage of these skilled, dedicated people operating in typically well-run utilities and make them the vanguard of a clean energy economy. And, and I have to say, I've worked with utilities across the country. I'm especially impressed with Excel. And I think if they're charged with an even greater responsibility for inventing and presenting a clean energy future, energy efficiency, electric vehicles, and solar and wind, they'll, they'll put the bit in their teeth. They'll go for it. While private companies may be best equipped to take on the clean energy challenge, Harvey does recognize there are policy steps that are necessary. One of the challenges, and this is where uh, some specific legislation and determination by the legislature will be important, is to make sure there's enough transmission lines to hook up all the windmills, because that takes public policy. The good news about all of this, though, is it's not an R or a D issue. It's not a Republican or Democratic issue. Two-thirds of all wind and solar in America have been put into red states, so-called red states. So the, the key here is that everybody wants clean, reliable, and affordable energy. And now, with the price drop of these technologies, one doesn't have to trade off clean for reliable and affordable. As for the best sources of all this clean energy folks like Harvey are pushing for? There's incredible winds across the upper Midwest. It's a fantastic opportunity for farmers. It typically... A big wind farm takes about 5% of a farmer's land and can double their income. And the other thing about wind power as an income source for farmers is it's steady year to year, even though crop prices go up and down. So it gives a both an economic backstop, but also ends a lot of the uncertainty that farmers have traditionally had to live with. The potential positives for landowners don't come without barriers here in Minnesota. The question that comes to a lot of people's mind is how do you integrate a lot of wind and solar into a cold northern climate? The, the good news is there are fantastic technologies and grid management techniques that make this much easier than was previously thought. But it will take some rethinking about grid management. I should add, Excel Energy has recently gotten out ahead of governments, for example, in Colorado, in proposing very strong renewable energy standards. They're very good at building and operating these large-scale renewable systems. All in all, Harvey thinks 2019 could be a year when clean energy gains momentum. I don't think this will be slow-moving. The reason I don't think so is it's now cheaper to go with clean energy than dirty energy, and that's a remarkable shift over the last few years. Wind power has dropped in cost by more than half in the last decade, and solar has dropped by 80% in the last decade. So in the old days, you had to be willing to spend a little extra to reduce carbon emissions. Today, you have to be willing to save some money in order to save the earth. That's a pretty good deal. And with an outsider's perspective, Harvey is confident that no matter who takes the lead, the legislature or individual communities or private utilities, Minnesota will find a way to make progress. Minnesota has a long track record of being a state where even with different politics, people get things done. And there tends to be more rational debate about facts 
and issues in Minnesota than many other states. This, this creates an amazing opportunity for the state to take the lead in the clean energy revolution. It's not an R thing, it's not a D thing, it's just a pro-Minnesota thing. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.